0: This episode is powered by Safety FM.
1: The Crucial Talks Podcast with your host, Mike Saddam. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Crucial Talks Podcast. I am your host, Mike Sedam. If you could do me a quick favor, I'd really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast and subscribe to it It really helps us a lot in growing the audience. And if you ever need anything from me or if you have a question, please feel free to reach out to me by visiting www.crucialtalks.com or find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter. Now, on this podcast, we talk a lot about leadership. We talk a lot about leadership because of the importance that it has in the workplace, in organizations, to communication, and important relationships we have at work, we have in our communities. It all comes down to people and leadership and communication, these capacities that have a positive, strength-based nature. That's what we talk about on the podcast. And that's why I'm super excited to welcome today's guest, Joshua Spodek. Now, Joshua is a PhD. He's a keynote speaker. And he's an author that wrote a best-selling book called Leadership Step-by-Step. And he told me today he's actually got a second book coming out in May called Initiative. Now, this is why it's so cool to talk to Joshua, because he also hosts a podcast called the Leadership Environment Podcast. He's also a leadership coach. He teaches courses on leadership, entrepreneurship, creativity, and sales. He's also a professor. So he comes from a great background including having a PhD in astrophysics and an MBA from Columbia. So anytime I have a guest with that kind of pedigree and that kind of background, it's super interesting. But what really interests me is really how they got to where they were and how they're using all that knowledge and operationalizing it to help so many people. So without further ado, I would like to welcome Joshua Spodek to the Crucial Talks podcast. How you doing today, Joshua?
0: Mike, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. No, I think it's going to be
1: pretty exciting because anytime I see somebody that NBC calls an astrophysicist turned new media whiz, it's pretty interesting. So I kind of want to know an introduction about you. Like, How did you get from all of that that background, uh, the astrophysicist, the PhD, the MBA, to really where you are today, writing books and speaking and teaching and having the Spodek Academy and all of that
0: stuff you're doing? How'd you get here? Well, look, your podcast covers very important things of communication and trust and how do we motivate and what, what drives people. And if I'm frank, I had the opposite of those things at the beginning. I mean, when you're learning physics, it's not about how to motivate people. It's not about emotions or, or behavior, you know, electrons are electrons. Well, I mean, I wouldn't have said that then, but my perspective, when I went off and started my first company... For me, leadership meant at the time, authoritarian, telling people what to do. You know, I I could create a vision, but to implement it, I would tell people what to do. And that was fine when things were going well, but when we hit a recession, things were difficult. Telling people what to do when times are tough, they want to undermine your authority. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I was really, you know, listening to one of your conversations, it, it, it made me think of when I played sports in college. We would, at the end of tournaments, we would, gather by the vans and take off our cleats and change out of our sweaty clothes into cleaner clothes. And we go back to the hotel and we shower and eat and sleep. And I always used to say when we were sitting on the grass next to the vans, and I would say, why don't we get in the van and take off our cleats and change in there? Because we'll be on the way back to the hotel. We'll eat sooner. We'll get cleaner sooner. We'll shower sooner. Everything will be better. And no one ever did. And it made total sense to me that we would do this, but they would also sit there and not do it. And one time, one of my teammates, KJ, looks up to me. I said to him, like, why aren't, why don't we do this? And he goes, Josh, I hear what you're saying. It makes sense. But the way that you're saying it makes me not want to do it. And yeah, it's funny now. And, but, you know, I didn't, it took me years to realize that people don't react to like logic, trying to convince people. I looked up the word convince just recently the Vince is the same as in Victor. It, it means to defeat. It means to, pro- to prove wrong. When was the last time someone tried to prove you wrong and you're like, okay, I accept that. And it's end of story. It really motivates people to argue back. And that's what I was doing. And it was really, it was a painful existence that I didn't realize. I mean, don't get me wrong. I had fun in my life. But as far as interacting with other people went, I was the opposite of influential. I would get people to dig in their heels. And that's not an effective way to run business. It's not an effective way to have a relationship with the people that you care about.
1: What was remedial.
0: Think, <laughs> well, I think we all were, and guys like me,
1: we kind of feel like we still are, and that's why we're always constantly learning. So, but what do you think it was that made it that made how you were interacting back then that made it the opposite of influential? I mean, I love the way you said that because you're like, "Look, I wanted to influence. I had the best intentions. It made sense logically, but the opposite effect is the result." Now, why do you think? that was the opposite effect. I mean, he said, it's not what you're saying, because what you're saying makes sense. It's kind of like how you're saying it, right. didn't, it made
0: them not want to do it. You know, I have I've learned lots of different reasons. One could point to the media. There's not a whole lot of media examples of very effective leaders. Like uh, a a few years ago, I, I brought my leadership class at NYU to I knew the CEO, the global CEO of Deloitte. So this guy has like 200, over 200,000 people reporting to him. Well, not reporting directly, you know, under him in the corporate hierarchy. <laughs> right. And I point out to the students, if you watch TV, you'll see lots of examples of leadership. And this guy would never appear on any of them. There's no drama. There's no tension. He works with people and he listens to them and he understands what's important to them. And he relates what they, what they care about to their work. And it's meaningful and it's productive. It's not dramatic. So he's, there's never going to be a reality TV show about this guy, but he's tremendously effective. And only by seeing him in this environment are you going to get that experience, that exposure. So that's a big thing I could point out. Another big one is, and one of my big passions for education, and why I make my courses and my books so experiential, is that our educational system is one of the most authoritarian contexts around for most of our lives, We have to do what the teachers tell under threat of bad grades and ruining our futures. It's not particularly democratic. It's not a particularly teamwork environment. The assignments are often, we're we're grading people. And it's, there's a model out there that says, well, we should grade the students and that will give accountability to the teachers. But, you know, one of the big things in science is we learn that you can have a theory that sounds really nice, but if it doesn't produce the results you expect, you got to get rid of that theory. And we haven't done that. We keep doubling down on it. So Most of, we spend, what, 12, 16 years of our lives, if we go to college, more if we go past, in an environment that's generally authoritarian. And when you try to lead in, well, I can't speak for other people, but in my experience, when people try to lead me using authority, if you don't do this, I'm going to punish you. I want to undermine that authority. And I think that's what I was doing, was I was, you know, I was captain of the team. So I'd say, okay, this is what we're going to do. And I think people wanted to undermine that. They weren't there to, be told what to do. And I think these are the big models we have. We certainly have that experience. And that's why a lot of my students, a lot of my clients, they say, I've never taken a course like this. I had no idea that I could learn the skills that I'm learning here. I didn't think that was possible. There's actually, I'm really flattered. One of the reviews on, on the Amazon page for my book is by this guy who, he graduated from Annapolis. So, you know, an officer in the Navy. And he does a video. I didn't know that they had video reviews until his. And he, he's holding the book and looking at the camera and he says, I thought you could not teach leadership. I was wrong. You can, this is different. And the reason he didn't is we just don't have exposure to effective leadership techniques, uh, leadership development techniques. They're out there, don't get me wrong, but the predominant modes are not effective and they teach the opposite. They might teach a lot of great facts, but leadership is rarely about how many facts you know. It's how you relate to people. It's your social and emotional skills.
1: Well, yeah, I love what you said there, and it's it's interesting that you had a video review from a guy that came from a place that is supposed to to pump out leaders. And his response was, "I didn't think you could teach leadership, but that you prove that wrong." That that's fascinating to me, and I love. I also love what you said about the CEO. I mean, Deloitte's huge. What'd you say? Two hundred thousand people, and he'll never be on TV because there's no drama. But it's how he works with people, how he listens to them. And that's what makes him very effective. What I love what you said is you said by seeing him in his environment and that just speaks volumes to all of us, I think, because the situation, the context, right? So much of the quote unquote leadership stuff out there is like, hey, this is how you do it, A, B, and C or some kind of model or whatever. But our environments, our workplaces are very complex. They're, they're valuable. They, they move. They're kind of like their own breathing entity. And that's what I love about how you use that to move into this idea of experiential learning because, I mean, really what you just told me is that, look, especially in this country, throughout our educational career and throughout how we interact with each other, we are defaulting to these settings that we believe are the way things should be done but are actually counterproductive to what we actually want to accomplish.
0: Yeah, I would say more than we default to it is we're taught to do it that way. A lot, I mean, look at some of, the, how many great leaders left school? Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, Jay-Z, Oprah Winfrey, Elon Musk, you know, uh, go down the list. It's Mark, uh, uh, Mike De- Mike, uh, Del, Michael Dell, Michael Dell. Michael Dell. And I mean, you can go down the list. There's tons of them. And they knew what they knew that what was what was to come and it wasn't going to help them. And I don't want to get down on our educational system, but you right. know, it's not just that we're defaulting to something. I think we're, we're taught that way. There's, there's a lot of great historical leaders. There's not a lot of people that... I don't know many people who point to people today who proclaim themselves as leaders and say, these are great leaders. There's a lot of people that say that they're leaders but a lot of people say these are not great leaders. And I, to me, that points to our education. Well, our educational systems, system is one of the big... Uh, is one of the things that contributes to that. And the, the dynamicness of our workplace is something that originally scared me. Originally, I thought, you know, there's a lot of people that their engineers say, I work with a lot of engineers, people who are on the tech side or research and development and come from a, a technical background. And they look at management and some of them want to transition, but a lot of them start and then they're like, you know, I don't want to do that. I want to stay back where I, where I was. Now, some of them view engineering as an art and I'm a big fan of that. Some of them are just scared as I was for a long time. And how do you learn social and emotional skills? It's you, I'd look at it as a performance art. You know, it's an active social and emotional performance based field. And we know, we actually do know how to teach these things very well, because if you want to learn how to act or play sport or play musical instrument or do the military, it's always, you start with learning the basics and you practice the basics and there's something that happens, even though you begin usually with something very mechanical, playing scales. If it's a piano, ground strokes. If it's tennis, it's not even really the sport yet. It's uh, playing scales, not music. I wouldn't say it's a mechanical exercise, and it's not really expressive. But something happens when you practice enough, enough, and enough. And it's not random exercises. It's exercises that have been developed by masters over a long period of time. And something happens that eventually your authentic self emerges, and then you speak or you communicate authentically genuinely and yourself comes out and that's the type of leadership that we respond to because inevitably you become vulnerable and you share yourself and then people connect with you and it's not easy what I'm saying it takes a long time it's, it can be grueling It's it was hard to solve hard physics problems for me this isn't intellectually challenging but it's just as hard emotionally because you know when you share what you care about that makes you vulnerable and it's easier not to share that but then people don't connect with you and they're not going to follow your lead as much because they're going to think, well, he or she, they're not sharing something. And when the chips are down, I don't know if that's something that they're not sharing might be something that's not in my interest. So I got to be careful around them. But if you share everything, not not everything, I mean, you don't have to share like every time you blow your nose, but if you share what's important, then they can say, I trust this person when the chips are down and then I can follow them in any time.
1: Well, and that's what I love about what you're saying, because you've talked about how workplaces are dynamic and how a lot of the things we learn, a lot of things we start doing, we have to start with the basics. So what I hear you saying, and and I say it a lot, which is probably why I hear you saying it, is because the workplace, the environment, it doesn't matter if you're in mining or if you're in aviation, the workplace is very dynamic and it's different, but it's still filled with the with people that are still driven by by social belonging, social esteem. I mean, we're social animals that crave belonging and esteem with each other. And what I found interesting about what you said is really what you're talking about, and the way I say it is we're building capacity. And what you're talking about is building the capacity to be a leader or building communication capacity. Some people talk about building safety capacity, the, you know, the ability to absorb these kind of anomalies that happen. And it kind of seems like with these basics that you start with, with what you start learning, just like a piano, right? Like you might start playing scales or playing the basic songs or whatever, but after time, after practice, you can begin to see notes ahead. You can begin to hear and you can begin to, to be a little more flexible in how you play and the, the different strokes of the keys and what those sound like. And it sounds like leadership really can can kind of be the same thing where you're building a capacity to lead. You're not trying to do it the same way with everybody because, you know, people are different and groups are different and the roles people play are different. But by building that capacity, you become more effective in those changing environments, in that kind of dynamic workplace.
0: Yeah, imagine, to me, these exercises when you practice, the exercises in my book, which are the same as the exercises in my classes, Imagine you lived in a world where they taught how to play piano. They said, here, here's what we're going to teach you piano. Sit in this classroom, and we're going to lecture to you for two years. And at the end of the year, we'll have this commencement, which means you commence actually putting your hands on the keyboard and starting to play. How many people would start playing piano that way? You can't play it for the first two years. That's, you know, That's the real world. We're not in the real world. And then imagine you came up with, you discovered scales, and you discovered simple pieces and then more complex pieces, and you can... Once you mastered the easy stuff, you can move up to the begin the medium stuff. And then once you master the medium stuff, you go to the advanced stuff. That's the enthusiasm in my voice. Is is I love I feel like I've I've discovered something that it seems obvious in retrospect, but it it works. And you talk about relationships in the workplace being dynamic. And it's actually I'm gonna broaden that. It's relationships are dynamic, and that complexity can be a fun joy. It's if you have the skills. Like I wouldn't want to play in a jazz improvisational. I don't know how to play a musical instrument, so I can't do it. But if I, once you get good at it, you want to play more. And I have to say my work relationships have definitely improved. All my relationships have improved and all my clients, they come back. It's usually, it's almost always like month two, sometimes month three. We've been working on stuff that's on working with their workplace relationships. And invariably they come back and it's either about their spouse or their kids. And they say, you know, I just started doing this with my spouse and she or he lit up and said, why'd you, why'd you say that? That's really interesting. I, you never said that to me before. Or the kid says something and they listen and the kid, the, they can read the, the 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 expression on their child's face of, that's interesting. Mom never said that. Dad never said that before. And so I don't want to restrict this to just work relationships. Leadership, people often connect it with Workplace, and that's the main place where I work with people on. But leadership is in politics, it's in sports, it's in family, it's in all sorts of relationships. So it's it's more broad than that, which I love.
1: Well, and that's what's great is because it. I mean, it really is more broad than that because we're such. Sometimes we try to silo things, and that's what I love about what you're doing because you've recognized. Look, it's not about. It's not about doing the right thing in the right place with these right set of steps. It's about learning how to do it so that you can apply it and you can operationalize it, which is where I think it's great that you talk about this experiential learning and how some of these exercises in your, in your book help people. So as, since we're there, I'd love to hear a couple of these exercises that people might be able to, to use like something that they could just start as soon as they're done listening to you on this podcast they can start doing that might actually help them or, or move them down this road toward building leadership capacity and the ability to have these stronger relationships.
0: I want to clarify one thing first, that scales will help you teach the piano. But if I say, here's a scale that you can play, and someone just plays one scale, it's not going to get them anywhere. And uh, you've got to practice. You know, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice, practice, practice. So right. I can give lots of examples. And hearing them without practicing, I don't know, it's not going to hurt you got to practice. So, I mean, the, the big one that I get brought in most for is meaningful connection. And it's how to make a meaningful connection with someone. Most of the time when we meet people, people know not to talk so much about politics and religion, usually when they meet someone, because it often leads to arguments. It gets to arguments because people care about those things. So they talk about weather, sports, traffic on the way over, and these are things that people don't particularly care about. I mean, you might care about your sports team, but not in the way that you care about politics or religion. So small talk is usually, it's people talking about stuff that doesn't matter. They're making meaningless connections. And I'm done with the days of when I go to a networking event, wanting to get away, get back with the most cards that I can, and hopefully give out the most cards that I can. If the connection, I'd rather make a small number of connections if they're meaningful Then however large number, if I have to, if I can't remember what that person was about and I have to read the card for my note that I took on, it's you know secretly after I stopped talking to them. So meaningful connection, and you can go to joshaspodick.com and meaningful slash meaningful dash connection. And it's I got an excerpt from my book, and I got um I got videos of me doing this with Marshall Goldsmith, who's one of my mentors. And there's a script that if you follow, you will create a meaningful connection with someone. In a way that they, it has never, in my experience, brought up argument. But people share something that they care about and they really like it. And it usually ends with the other person feeling like, oh, I want to keep talking to this person. And what do you want more if you're, say, in a job interview? Then the person wants to talk to you more. Even if you don't want the job, you still want you to be the one who makes the choice, not them. So, well, if you don't mind me asking you, Mike, can I ask you, what's a passion of yours outside of work and family?
1: Oh uh, let's see here. Uh, sorry to put you on the spot, but oh no I'm no fl- problem.
0: Um, actually uh, like motorcycles and motorcycle riding. No, that's funny because I, I, I actually a former client taught me how to ride a motorcycle. We we you know, this was after I'd finished coaching him and we became friends and he bought a motorcycle and we went out to a parking lot and we oh man. I accidentally when I came to a stop, it stalled and it fell over. Uh, oops. Anyway, for him, it was about freedom and getting around in a way that was, uh, you know, the, the wind going past him. He really liked it. He would sometimes take business meetings on the motorcycle. I had another friend who, I think he was like a very macho guy. And I think it showed off a pers- part of his personality. I don't know. Is this, is it like that for you? Is it one of those things? Yeah, it is. It gives you the ability
1: to see outside, to smell the smells, to, you know, you're on a motorcycle. So it's not like you're going to get bugged on your phone or anything like that. So yeah, it, it is quite a bit of that.
0: It's a, so you went really into detail of like smelling the smells. I mean, is it really that? Cause I don't remember that, but maybe you've done it more. Can you tell me more about that, about the smells and that level of detail?
1: Well, of course, because if you're on a long motorcycle ride, I mean, you're passing through different areas, farmlands, cities, all of that. So as you're traveling, your your sensors are heightened, right? It's not the same thing. Like inside a car, you're constantly looking at the dashboard and the inside of the car, and it's enclosed. But on a motorcycle, you're out there feeling and hearing and sensing the things
0: that you can't do in a car. Now, I when I asked you, what a passion of yours was besides work and family. That was actually the beginning of the Meaningful Connection exercise. Mm -hmm. And I just did it on the fly. And how did you feel about, we're talking with, you know, it's not designed to be a public performance. So it's not usually done with recording and for people to listen. (laughs) But if you don't mind my asking, how did you feel about that little bit? And it's sorry to stop in the middle because actually I'm interested to hear more. No, it's actually,
1: it's, interesting on how it makes you and I like what you said and how it makes you feel because you start like I I, I start imagining me doing that I also imagine you because I've done it so much and and passionate about it and have the experience with it I actually could visualize you stalling and falling over on the motorcycle and feeling empathy that you had to go through that that normally because I've been to a ton of these conferences and networking events too that normally you don't get that that feeling or that internal story playing in your mind or that internal movie in your mind when you come up and say, hey, who do you work for? Right? I mean, it's, it's it's engaging, it's deeper, and it gives you, you can actually feel when you think about it. I mean, while it's happening, you don't really notice it, but looking back now when you do it, you feel. You, you get that emotional response and You know, people are probably tired of hearing me say how we're social storytellers, but that story in your mind, I think is what drives those emotions and actually creates that kind of, that shared experience you have with that other person.
0: Exactly. What, this is how people describe it, that it's, it's about feelings, about feeling understood. It's about talking about what they care about. And usually people want to keep talking. I presume that if I kept talking about motorcycles and especially the sensory part and going past, I like going past the farmland's brought a vivid image for me. And, you know, more than if you had said, oh my God, I-95 on the way over, so much backup. I'm like, yeah, I guess that's, that's like more annoying. And so I, I won't go through the full script because as I said, joshuaspoder.com slash meaningful-connection, it's right there and they can read it and they can see, and then they can go and re-listen to this episode or our implementation of it. And that exercise, if you do it as it scales, if you do it once or twice, you're not going to get much out of it. You'll, you'll be, you're struggling more with the structure of it and how it works, but do it 10 times, 15 times. And you'll start noticing, Oh, that's what's going on here. You start picking up the patterns because you do it with different people, different people respond in different ways. And you start seeing what's going, what's the common element between all of them. And that's actually ex- that that's chapter 17 in my book. So to get there, you would have done 16 other chapters to get there, 16 other exercises and it would be a little easier having done the earlier exercises, which are more on a lot of them, self-awareness and perception, uh, the human emotional system and how to motivate yourself, how to motivate others. But that's one exercise. It's the one that I most commonly do when I'm brought into corporations and they want to develop leadership techniques for and, and team building techniques for their people.
1: Well, what I love about this meaningful connections portion of your book and the exercise and how what it means is truly it does realize what people truly are. It, it opens us up and it allows people to understand that we are driven by connection. We are driven by relationships and that that being able to have that meaningful connection is huge. And even in today's world where I hear a lot of people saying negative things about social media, I don't think social media is the the villain here, I think it's a fact we don't recognize and use social media in a way like you're talking about with that meaningful connection. It's very glossed over. It's very shallow. It's not, you know, it might even be wide, but not deep. It's just very thin. But that if we can leverage that, if we can understand it through some of the techniques you're talking about, even our online connections and the groups we join and what we see online can actually create a more meaningful experience in life if we can understand some of the things you're talking about here.
0: Yeah, you're making me remember one of the things that motivated me to make leadership a high priority for me was there was a period of time, now it's long enough ago, it's hard for me to remember the exact, it was about within about a month time, three different people that I knew very well all said almost the exact same words, Josh, I've known you for a long time but I still don't feel like I know the real you. And for a long time, I couldn't even say that to people because it, it was too humbling and too painful to think that the people who knew me best didn't really know me. And I, that was, it's not like a hitting rock bottom, but it certainly was a wake-up call that I, whatever I was doing to that point wasn't working and I had to do something different. And then it took years to find what would work you know, a lot of what I do, a lot of what motivates me is to make it so that people don't have to spend years.
1: Well, and one of the things I think that's important about what you just said and about how you got to where you are is it seems like you became self-aware. Like you, you started to understand some more stuff about you. And I know that seems like it's a part of your book. So is that self-awareness that you experienced Is that something that you feel is a a cornerstone to get people, I guess, more in tune with who they are? Is that an important part of being able to build leadership capacity, of being able to become a better leader?
0: To the extent I have self-awareness, I'm not the Dalai Lama. I I can compare myself to, to before, and I certainly believe that it's stronger than before. People sometimes ask me, do you need self-awareness in order to act? And Some people say do you need to act in order to get self-awareness? And in my experience you need a cycle. You need a little bit of self a little bit of more self-awareness will get you to act a little bit more openly and honestly than you would have before, and that will lead to a little more self-awareness. If you wait to have if you sit there and wait for self-awareness and then act, I think you can wait a long time. If you act without self-awareness, I think you're going to go in circles a lot and go in directions that aren't useful for you. Whatever self-awareness you have, act with that don't go crazy. Don't go, you know, don't do everything you possibly can do what you can and sense what's going on and use that to build it. Waiting for sudden things. There's so many people out there and like, you know, same with entrepreneurship They're like, Oh, I can't wait till I have my great idea. Then I can do something. But all the people who have very successful businesses, almost all of them will say the idea that I started with really had to iterate a lot before it changed. You, You can't wait for it to be a great idea and then start. But if you, you have to start with what you have, but don't go overboard. Don't like, put all your life savings and mortgage the house on your first idea. Likewise, if you if you have self-awareness to some degree, like if you have some direction, act on it to some degree. Don't mortgage the farm. Take, make a little progress. And that's why my exercises are designed, the early ones, pretty simple. Anyone can do. I mean not, you know, this is still challenge to them. The second one's a little more challenging than the first. It builds on it. And the third one's a little more challenging than the second. And you develop it along the way. Just like pick a great musician who plays Carnegie Hall. At some point, all they could play was a scale. At some point, they could play modestly complex pieces, but they couldn't really express themselves. At some point, they could express themselves, but not freely. And then at some point, you know, you keep playing, you keep practicing, and you find new things, and you connect with other musicians, whether they're people that you talk to in your own life or past historical great ones, and you discover more about yourself along the way. So, the answer is yes, but it's not so cut and dried. It's not like it just starts and then you're done. Does this lead to your next book? I mean, can it sound like, I
1: mean, just the title alone, initiative, right? Is that about taking action?
0: Yeah. And it's, well, it's about taking action in a cycle, not just because a lot of people say just act and your passion will follow. A lot of people say act on your passions. And I think you need both. And i I call it my initiative action passion cycle because what a lot of people feel like either they have no passion or they have a few and they're not sure which to act on because they're afraid of acting on one. And if they act on one, then what if the other one was actually the, the big one? So people generally have enough direction to get them started. If they take initiative, then once they act that will either reinforce that passion and they'll know how to act more. Or sometimes they'll say, Oh, you know, I thought this was it, but it's not. And so the exercises in that book are designed to get you doing simple, basic things at the beginning that will get you to feel, usually it, usually people have a pretty good sense of, yeah, they want to do more, but they, they don't have the structure for how to move forward without fearing regret or something like that.
1: Well, and that's kind of interesting. I mean, you talk about fear. I think part of what holds us back or what keeps us from moving on is fear. And it's not really even like physical fear, but more emotional fear It seems to come from not, I don't even know how to say this really, but not really from inside of us, but what we think other people will think about us. And that's what kind of bogs us down sometimes on moving forward.
0: I found that there are many reasons why people don't move forward. And I found what works getting past that. And in many cases, simply getting past it, you look back and you're like, oh, I realized what it was. You don't always have to know, know, there's a model of if you don't pull the dandelion out by the roots, then it'll just grow back. There's another model, which is if your house is on fire, you don't have to know the cause of the fire to get out of the building. And after the fire, you can look back and say, oh, it came from that side of the house. I left the I left the, the iron plugged in. And there's a lot of things in this area that are much more the case of your building's on fire and you got to get out. And yeah, I'm not saying that like people have building on fire situations in their lives. Just sometimes the solution is simply to solve the problem. And then you look back and you're like, oh, now that I'm, not in this, Now that I don't have that stress of my life isn't what I wanted it to be, I realize I'm a new person now. And that problem affected the old person. Now I know how to move forward. And that's the results that I get a lot.
1: Well, that makes a whole lot of sense about how we can become and transform really into something else. I mean, because I talk about it all the time about moving into different roles and how the role that's important to you at the time is the decisions you're going to make, right? Like if I misuse a role, if I bring the role of boss at work home and I'm playing that role while at home, it can cause problems. And so these mismatch of roles can cause us to do things that may not fit the situation. And so being able to, I guess, understand more about how, how we behave and how we act and how we make sense of the world that's going on around us becomes kind of important to,
0: to becoming a better leader or building leadership capacity. I want to go beyond just understanding, which is important to behaving and based on social and emotional skills, behaving effectively to get the results that you're looking for with confidence based on experience, not simply based on having read something in Harvard Business Review or something like that. No, keep reading. But in my column in Inc., I noticed if you put Navy SEAL in the title, it gets a lot of clicks. And Navy SEALs didn't learn how to become Navy SEALs by reading articles about Navy SEALs. Their training's hard. If you could read the articles and that was it, they would do that, but they don't. There's a lot of training. Most people don't have to reach Navy SEAL level of overcoming challenges and things to have what what they would consider a successful life. But you still got to do something. And so mere understanding is, is, in my opinion, insufficient. It depends on what you want in life. If you just want to understand things, fine. But my stuff is to get you to be able to act so that people respond to you and say, I want to follow this person. I trust this person. I want to be with this person. I like this person.
1: Well, so as we start wrapping up this episode, I would love to be able to talk to you just a little bit about Some of the things you offer, because I mean, people are getting it generally. They know that you are a professor. They know you've written two books. Well, one book and the second one's coming out in May. They know that you consult and you coach and you speak, but what kind of services do you offer? I know they're putting the the pieces together, but how do they get in touch with you? What do you offer? What's the best way to contact you to get more information? Because I know if they type your name in, you're all over the place with articles and all kinds of stuff, but where can we dial in? where they can get more information about you and how they get a hold of you and
0: what you can bring to the table to help them out. If they just want to learn more about me, probably my blog is the best way, joshuaspodek.com. And I post every day, so there's lots and lots of stuff there. If they want to start practicing things, the most the basic entry point is through leadership step by step. And as you pointed out, as we're speaking now, my book is not yet published. The initiative is not yet published. But so they're getting like the sneak preview ahead of everybody. And so, but if they look up the book Initiative, it's now in copy editing. So it's basically what, I've basically finished writing what it's going to be. So Initiative is the next book. And you can go to the, I mean, at Amazon, you can read the first two chapters of Leadership Step-by-Step before buying it. And you can check out if this makes sense to you. And then, you know, doing the exercises, it's not particularly hard. It doesn't cost a whole lot of money. It doesn't cost any money. I mean, once you buy the book. Now, if you really want to get a more rich experience, books, if you are very... Uh, if you're very disciplined and you can do solo work by yourself, the book is all you need. But if you want to do it in, a, in, an, env- in an environment with a community and you want to, there's a lot of posting your reflections. And if you want to read other people's reflections and see what worked for them, get advice from others, then you can do the course. And the course can offer things that the book can't. So there's videos and there's, you can post it in, in the community and get advice from people who have done it before and things like that. And everyone who's ever done it, all of their stuff is available. So you can go and read all of their things. So there's the entrepreneurship course there. There's a leadership course there. And if you want one-on-one or you want to do corporate training, then if you go to there's you can connect. There's a, a link to connect with me and that'll come directly to me. Oh, and and it, sorry, if you live in New York City, then I teach at NYU. And depending on the semester, sometimes I teach for adult learners and it's for professionals. And so you have to check semester by semester and... I teach my big courses there are leadership, entrepreneurship. I also teach a sales class, which is funny because people think physics, sales, and it's really about how to create relationships that last and endure and that are based on some give and take.
1: No, that sounds awesome. I wish I lived on the other coast now so I could check it out. But um there's Don't a that's it. Oh definitely, yeah. If I'm
0: ever in New York, just not during oh. the winter time. So. And I have to mention my podcast. So the leadership you said leadership environment, but it's leadership and the environment. So I identified the environment is one of the key critical areas uh, one of the key critical issues of our time. And I see a lot of people telling people what to do. I see a lot of people spreading doom and gloom, people spreading facts without context or just facts. And rarely do these things influence people. I mean, the people that's going to influence it's influenced. I saw what was missing was people connecting meaning and value and purpose and, and joy to changing their behavior with respect to the environment. So to get rid of this, to replace this feeling of if I act, but no one else does, then what I do doesn't matter, which is very sad. And it's, you know, meaningless. And to replace that with people in my community are acting and they're doing stuff that makes a difference to them and they like, like it. And I have had, I mean, people way beyond, like Dan Pink and Marshall Goldsmith and uh, Beth Comstock, who was the CMO of GE when it was a Fortune 5 company. I just got back from West Point where I've brought on the the heads of the leadership department, the head of the environmental engineer, engineering department. I just interviewed my first Olympic gold medalist CrossFit Games champion and if you listen to it you'll hear people actually you'll hear me practicing the techniques in my book if you don't if you haven't checked out the book you won't know it but you'll hear it and it's helping people do what they've always wanted to do but never got around to or you know that's a big piece of leadership helping people do what they want to do but haven't figured out how and oftentimes they feel like they did it themselves and it's great and I want that to to spread because there's a lot of plastic in the ocean. There's a lot of mercury in fish. We've got plastic in our bloodstream, and nobody wants these things. And few people are acting on it. And I'm trying to make it meaningful for people to really enjoy it, so they can hear me. Hear, they can hear my leadership in action at the Leadership in the Environment podcast, and it, they can get there from joshuasbodick.com.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. So that leadership in the environment. Uh, it's a, it looks like a great podcast. I've listened to it a little bit, but it's like I, I agree with what you're saying because it's almost like a. And I use appreciative inquiry a lot in some of the things I do and what I talk about, and I love what you said. How it's there's a lot of the doom and gloom out there. There's a lot of the the data, the problems, and all that. But I love what you said about it's missing meaning and value and purpose and joy and how we can use those things to take purposeful action to start doing something about it. I, I love that. And looking at the, you know, really looking at the list of people you interview and have interviewed, uh, it's pretty impressive. And I would, I really would, would like people to take a listen to that because there's a lot of value in that, in that, that mindset shift, that way of thinking and viewing and perceiving what's going on around us in that, how we take action and how we actually behave and start doing something. I love the premise of that podcast.
0: If you get me started about talking about it, I will go on for a long, long time. So but what you described it very well, and it's one of my great, great passions now. I didn't mean for it to be, but I believe that I found a, a need, a, a craving among really billions of people for leadership in this area.
1: Yeah, it's funny because I, I hear the same thing about this podcast because it's it is. It's like people are people are hungry for the things that really make us people, that that the talk about meaning and talk about value systems and the talk about having a purpose and talk about having joy and how we can deal with complex, difficult issues in that way with a strength-based positive focus and make some meaningful changes. I think it's awesome. But yeah, I've heard the same thing. I think a lot of people are hungry for that sort of communication that recognizes who we all truly are inside and what really does drive us and motivate us to take action.
0: You're getting me started. I could go on for an hour. <laughs> but yeah, I mean what you're saying is is right on and it's uh I can't say more. I mean, I can't say more without going on for a long time, except hearing people sharing this, I wish I'd done this earlier. Why? This is hard work, but this is the work that I wanted to do. Or it's easy. And I, I, why didn't I do this earlier? It's, it's, it's very refreshing to me.
1: Yeah, and I think the content being put out there for everybody to get is so valuable because, I mean, you're probably like me. If we could just start changing one or two people to make the workplace better, to make the community better, to make the world better, whatever, if we could just impact a couple of people to understand how that all works together, I think it, it starts ballooning, right? It starts it starts networking, it starts growing. And then we have what started out as a small change ends up being a really positive, big change, but it's got to start somewhere.
0: I agree it has to start somewhere. My One of my big strategies, the reason I get leaders, and usually leaders without entrepreneurial, i sorry, usually leaders without environmental experience. The reason I go for, people that are world-renowned is that they're in everyone's community. And I think community motivates social and cultural change a lot more than facts do. And so I'm not, I, I, I of course, I agree. You got to start with where you are, with the people around you and so forth, and yourself. But the strategy of the podcast is to go with the most renowned people that everybody knows so that everyone can feel like, you know, it's high time I started doing this. It's not just me. People I know are doing this. People I care about are doing this. So that's the strategy that I'm doing, not to take away from any other people's strategies. I generally support a lot of work that people are doing. What I'm I'm focusing on, not just anyone, but people that everyone knows.
1: Gotcha. That is awesome. I mean, because just the the podcast is awesome. And so I would really like everybody to check it out. Leadership in the Environment. I mean, the list of people you've talked to and are talking to is, is great. So. I know you got to get going. I know we've uh, wanted to close out this episode and I'd love to have you back on some other time just because I'd love to get, I mean, we started going down this road about your podcast. There's so much value in that. Someday I want to, would love to get you back on to talk a little bit more about that. I think that'd be great. Uh, yeah, I'm chomping at the bit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good. We'll have to make sure we schedule that because I think that would be a super interesting conversation. So I really appreciate you coming on. Do you have any other uh, words for us of wisdom from your, your background or where you're going in the future? Anything uh, you want to leave us with that can help
0: us tomorrow? You know, the the best advice I can think to give is practice, practice, practice. Uh, the books are designed to give you structure so that you can practice something without fear of am I going in the wrong direction or is this, you know, does this work? And so, you know, I recommend starting with them. If this is, if, if your podcast is something important to the listeners, this is something that will help you in that direction. But it's not the only source I recommend it, but, you know, practice and don't expect, it certainly didn't work with me to expect if I just wait, it'll get better. Right. You got to do something.
1: (laughs) You got to take action. You got to take that first step. So anyway, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. I got a ton of value out of it. This has been probably one of the best interviews I've done, at least personally, because I've learned so much from you. It really has been a a great conversation. I wanted to thank you for coming on.
0: I'm honored and flattered. And if I can be of service in the future, I'd be happy to be. Perfect. Thank you so
1: much. All right, everybody out there, if you have a chance and you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did, I'd love for you to visit me at the Crucial Talks website at www.crucialtalks.com and make sure you connect with me. I mean, you'll connect with me directly, email, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. It's all me. I don't have anybody answering any of my own stuff. So you contact me and I'll get back to you. So please feel free to do that if you need anything from me. Also, if you could do me a quick favor, Share the podcast, leave a review, and just share with your friends and subscribe to it. It really does help because we're trying to get these great interviews, just like the one which we had with Joshua, out there so everybody can can gain value from that. So have a great week, and remember, if we want to understand behavior, we need to understand what drives people.
0: Please review, share, and subscribe to the Crucial Talks podcast. Visit crucialtalks.com.